Hello, I'm Omar Salam and this is The Product Life. Today we have a very special guest. I consider her one of the elite of product management world. She is a coach of coaches and she's a renowned author. She wrote two of the most important books, I think, in product management. The first is uh, Strong Product People uh, that was published in 2021. And just recently, she's just released Building Strong Product Communities. Uh, please welcome with me the elite, the strong Petra Villa. What a lovely introduction. <laughs> Thanks so much. It's a small introduction. I'm not very good at introductions yet. I'm still, you know, warming up with the podcast. But um, yeah, I, I, I honestly think that uh, your, your insights uh, are really valuable and really important in the product world. And uh, it's, it's not just me saying that, like, you know, all the industry greats are always saying that about your books and about your contributions. Pleasure, and yeah. I'm really, yeah, I'm really happy that, uh, that we're having this conversation and to host you on the product life. Sure. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So again, it was a very short, short intro. So like, I would like to ask you to introduce yourself a little a bit more uh, to our audience. So a bit more about my background. Um, so really briefly, I'm yeah. um, a trained engineer, one could say. That's what I studied at university. And mm -hmm. I early on discovered, or basically my colleagues early on discovered that I have this talent to talk to the clients and the customers and the users. And they pushed me doing that a bit more. And that's how in, I ended up in, back then it was called project management roles to bring back yeah. the requirements to the teams. Yeah. That's how I started <laughs> my career back in the days. Yeah. And from there, and I... the backlog. Yeah, not, we, we even not, not yet not called even it the backlog. backlog. Okay, cool. Wow. So it was prior to backlog times. Um, yeah, but from there, um, I found my first product role. I get familiarized um, to terms like uh, backlog and all the scrum methodology and working agile um, in many, many ways and all these kind of things, right? Um, in various companies, I tried to learn more about product management, became a senior product manager at some point in time. I was doing B2B and B2C products, so that's um, pretty unusual. Not everybody has, yeah, kind of. Um, they like to do both sides. So that was really um, cool for me to see how is it if you have like 12 million users and it's a B2C business yeah. and how is it if they have like 26 corporates that actually maybe spending the same amount of money with you than the 12 million users in the other company. So that was mm -hmm. a quite interesting, interesting stretch. And then I um, made it into product leadership role, became head of product and the managing director of a startup slash scale up at some point in time. And from there I went into first interims head of product roles um, that were these days we call it fractional CPOs and all these kind of things. But back, back okay. then it was like grown-up companies that said like, we want to um, um, step into new business ideas. We have ideas. It's super vague. Maybe you could help us find product market fit. So it was kind of a zero to one product situation, but well-funded. Um, so not with all the pressure that usual startups have. And I just helped them to um, create these kind of little uh, startups one by one, um, plus helped organizations when the head of product was on parental leave, for example, for a longer period of time. And once they came back, people said still like what I really enjoyed, I'm really happy you're back, chef boss. But what I really enjoyed when working with Petra was the one-on-one -on -one conversations because she was so focused on my career development and she was always asking what I'm currently curious about and what I'm learning and how do I improve how I do product. Um, so then it became a coaching role for some of these former clients where they said like, okay, why not come back and have this uh, coaching conversations with our product people once in a while. And the last four years I've been solely working with people running product organizations. So you can call them heads of product, chief product officers, product team leads. Um, and I help them to up their people development game. So it's a bit of a meta role. So whenever they kind of, I need to build this product organization, how do I hire? How do I retain the talent that I've got? How do I help them develop? How do I up my product management game? How do we create a product culture that is actually sticky and where when um, ideally, people come knock our doors and say like, hey, I heard you're a great com product company. Can I join? Which makes hiring so much easier, mm. right? So that's kind yeah. of things that I'm helping product leaders these days with. And that's either in 
group coaching settings, um, so team coaching. So if there's a leadership team, a team of three, for example, directors, then sometimes we have like team coaching going on. And oftentimes it's one-on-one -on -one coaching that I'm doing. Okay. And how did you use that to write your first book about building strong product people? Um, yeah, so the honest answer to that is, at, to some extent, all the freelance people know they need to find their topic. So what is what is yeah. the thing that people are kind of associating with the name Petra Ville? And I was mm -hmm. always, always a bit on the, okay, what could it be? And at some point it was like, hey, it's actually the people development. Um, colleagues, peers, and even clients pointed out that it's all about growing product people and making sure that they kind of get better in what they do and that they're um, improving their craft and that they're sharing this with other others. So again, other people pointed me in the right direction. I was like, yeah, this really resonates with me. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually, I don't scale well. So I could only coach that many product leadership folks and mm -hmm. help them um, improve their people development game. But that was not a scalable approach. So I wanted to help more people. Um, and then yeah. a book was a a cheap it's a cheap i cheap thing so people now could buy it for i don't know 25 bucks it depends on the marketplace where you're ordering <laughs> it from but around that price tag um and it really helps you if you're in a leadership role to first of all define what does good look like for you so what do you think is a competent product person and then mm -hmm. really use that in all situations like hiring, onboarding, performance reviews. Um, plus, the book talks a lot about how do you coach people on certain topics because we have this product management evergreens. And even if we think all product people are super good in time management, they often are not. And um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and product leaders need to help them get better, for example, in basic things like prioritization or time management um, or hypothesis-driven product discovery so all these kind of things i'm talking about in the book and i want to help product leads get better making their life easier basically so that's was the idea for the first book i have to tell you when you were talking about that i kept thinking about all the other discussions that we could have about <laughs> building your personal brand how to start writing a book like you know i i think we could do like a series of, of episodes not just one on different topics maybe uh, i'm coming back yeah, I, I would I would love, you know, to discuss that with you uh, if, if we ever meet at some point. Um, but uh, yeah, thank you for giving us this insight about uh, what, what the book talks about. And I would like to start our discussion gradually um, relevant to the structure of a company. So since you mm -hmm. are a coach of coaches... Um, and I want to start by... by I'm more by a the coach smallest... of leaders. Sorry, but Coastal I'm more a coach of... Yeah. Coach of leaders. I, yeah. yeah. I tried to, yeah. I try to not coach. I, I coach product coaches if they're internal product coaches. So this okay. becomes yeah, more yeah, and more yeah. a thing. Then I'm a coach yeah, of coaches. That's, Indeed. Yeah. That's, that's what I meant. So yeah. if we're starting, you know, the first step of the ladder before mm -hmm. reaching to the top of, of actual leadership, uh, if someone is like an individual contributor right now yeah. and they are trying to prepare themselves for their first people management role, whether they're senior PM or they are going into GPM and going into the management track. Uh, what would you advise generally uh, on, on how to start developing someone and, and preparing for the first time to be a coach to someone else? Yeah, so there's several things that they could do, I think. And it really depends on the company culture and the company context, right? But given that the product person in this organization, to some extent, is responsible for the product strategy, mm -hmm. um, that definitely is step number one. So if you are an IC level product person and not yet responsible for your product strategy, that's actually the first thing that you want to apply for, um, to have a more strategic impact. Because if you're stepping into a leadership role, that's definitely part of what you need to do is work more strategic. Look mm -hmm. at the longer term horizons and plan yeah. a bit further ahead. So that definitely is always my first suggestion. Are you working strategically already? Then that's check. Um, mm -hmm. If not, then that's, that is the first thing that you want to do. And that is maybe by applying for a more strategic initi initiative within your organization where you're able to do this more strategic work. Sometimes it's just like 
telling your boss that, hey, I think I'm ready to take some of the strategic um, concerns off your plate and for, and I do the first draft and then we can have a conversation about it, right? So whatever mm -hmm. it is, strategic, yeah, exposure. things and questions, exposure, yeah. <laughs> that's actually the, the first thing that I um, recommend people to do. And then another thing that is in many, many organizations rather simple is be more active in your internal community of practice. So if it is a small product organization, it's five to 10 product people, and you're the most senior person in the room, then try to help others to further, to get further along with some skills that they're having, help them in their capabilities building. And that could be whatever. Maybe you attended a mm -hmm. conference and bring back your insights and frame it um, for their context so that they can understand like, ah, this is actually how we could apply some of Teresa Torres's opportunity solution trees within our organization. Because that okay. is often something that junior people struggle with. Mm -hmm. They read all the books and they see all the frameworks and they want to use all of them, but they struggle to see how this could be helpful to them in their current context and mm -hmm. if it can be helpful. So this is something a senior person could do as well. And then share some of the things that you're learning. So if you think that you're rather good in creating outcome-oriented roadmaps, then maybe that's something that you want to share with your colleagues. And that is that something that you maybe could run a small workshop within your organization about these things. Or if your product organization is too small and mm -hmm. you may be, it's maybe two product people, and you still could go talk about how you're doing things elsewhere. So maybe a meetup, maybe a product tank, something like that. But start sharing what you learn so that, first of all, people see what you're doing, um, understand, ah, okay, that's what Omar is famous for to some extent, right? Um, and then they see that you're really, yeah, lifting others. Yeah. And that is definitely something that most of the companies want to see in leadership positions as well, that you're able to help others grow. Um, and you can do this through community work. And mainly, I think that's the easiest way how you could actually be doing it within the company and outside of the company, both is a possibility. And then you could apply yeah. for onboarding your colleagues that oftentimes helps you to understand a bit more about, okay, this is how we set expectations. And mm -hmm. this is the important things that people have to learn when they're on board with our company. Um, so that definitely is something uh, that you could do and volunteer as well, even without any leadership uh, responsibility attached. So that's just like three ideas, work yeah. more strategic, um, help others grow, uh, through usually community of practice work. And the third one is help people to onboard with your company. Yeah. Yeah. So basically that, that would allow a person to like um, train the muscle of how to communicate to others and aim to coach them or to transfer yeah. some knowledge or skills to them yeah. uh, on, on, on practical basis. Exactly. And if I would need, so what maybe one thing that I forgot that I would like to add is, the art of giving feedback is something that yeah. one could practice early on as well. And it's a super important thing in the leadership role. Mm. So are you able to deliver task-related or behavioral-related feedback to others? And that's mm. something you could practice with your team. Okay. So how does your feedback land? Maybe you need to change the way how you provide people with feedback so that actually mm -hmm. they are able to hear what you actually want to tell them, right? Yeah, so yeah. that's something that you could practice early on in your career and you don't have to wait for a leadership mandate um, to start giving good, radically candid, helpful feedback. Yeah, and, and, and how to structure that feedback actually also to be actionable and to give them not just, you know, opinions about how you're performing this person was performing but with actionable things that they could proceed to uh, to do um, in order to develop and um, exactly. I actually like very much that everything that you said is re actually actionable so thank you so much um, <laughs> for this so that 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 was a starting point um, let's take it like you know a couple of steps after that and that hypothetical person's career. Um, and I would like to focus on two areas that you mentioned uh, in your book, uh, the, the last two chapters about train for excellence and, and build a gr great culture. Um, <clears throat> um, and, and the first question that I have here now, someone is a 
product leader at some level they have they're managing a couple of senior pms like with with bigger scopes and so on uh, how to make sure that all of these uh, spms are being um, engaged and and motivated uh, to manage uh, you know this extended scope maybe sometimes their scopes are not uh, correlating but still they're in the same track or in the same group and they are trying to work on on different things but that leader's job is to keep them motivated engaged and all of this guided towards uh one direction yeah um yeah i added this to the book because in my coachings i often find leaders focusing on either hiring and onboarding new people or mm -hmm. developing the rather junior product people to a certain level. Okay. But because of time scarcity, we often forget that we have all the senior players around, right? That yeah. are oftentimes carry most of the load of the product organization's delivery value, right? Um, yeah. They're kind of really important pillars of the, the, the organization on of what we do and what we deliver and what we commit to. So I always make sure that I walk my leaders through the question of, okay, how do you make sure to keep the senior product people engaged? And um, first of all, if you start doing that and put it in your calendar, it's maybe a quarterly thing that you just have this 10 minutes blocker in your calendar that says like, am I caring enough for my senior people is there something i could do for them that already helps right so that already helps and sometimes there come ideas come right after to your mind things that you could do um the day after maybe it's just like talking to your senior people and see how they're doing that may spark some ideas as well right but what i often what often results from these conversations is what they're lacking is either again because the thing is Promotions not happening that often anymore. It usually happens more yeah. often in the beginning of your career, but then let's face it, at some point you were like the platinum product person in this company. So where should you be promoted to unless yeah. you want to go for the leadership track? Maybe you're mm -hmm. already group product manager. Maybe you're already the most senior type. You're holding the most senior title and I see level product person could have, right? So no yeah. promotion inside. Um, then there still could be a raise, obviously, that is something that could happen. Um, and another thing that often makes sense to kind of assess is, are my seniors able to experience the mastery that they have gained over the years? Um, because, hello, Daniel Pink, he says, like, what everybody's striving for is a mastery, autonomy and purpose, right? So that is something yeah. that you do with your um, senior PMs as well. So. Do they still see purpose in the things that they do and the mission of the company? Ideally, yes. Hopefully, yes. Um, mm -hmm. And in the purpose in what they are kind of contributing to the bigger picture. Do they feel enough autonomy? That is something that is changing throughout your career, right? The more senior people need way more autonomy in what they do than your junior folks. So are they having enough autonomy in picking the battles and picking the bets they want to work on? That is a question that you could look into. And then are they experiencing mastery and how do people experience mastery it's when they're teaching others it's when they help others it's when they educate others it's when they onboard others it's maybe when they run community of practice events all these things is something that senior product people could do if you allow them to do so because it's yeah. a time investment let's face it but that's how you keep them engaged with what the company actually does. Um, some maybe want to run a product tank and become an external meetup organizer. Maybe that is in the favor of your company because it helps you with employer branding, right? So it's not time wasted. I think it's time well invested, but these are the conversations that you want to have with your senior product people um, to see like what you can do for them. Yeah, and then still, you still could assign them to more strategic topics over time. Right, because there oftentimes are opportunities opening up for them to work closer with senior executives, to work closer with the board, these kind of things. That's another topic. So you could kind of task them with harder problems to solve, so to say. Yeah, so for sure, as, as a product leader, the, the, the key fundamental to be able to achieve or do all of that is to build a layer of open communication and trust within exactly. your group. That, that everyone is like free to share what they think, what they want and how they want to develop. And mm -hmm. also from a leader perspective, you, you're trusting them that, you, you know, when, when you give them more space and more autonomy, that they're actually going 
to do the right thing and yeah. even if something bad happens still within this you know um, uh, atmosphere of, of of trust and confidence um, that it's okay to happen and the, the main thing is that we analyze and we understand what uh, why it happened and why uh, how can we avoid it in the future so having this level of like or establishing the safe zone for for everyone yeah. i think is the key also for all yeah. of that right i totally agree because otherwise these conversations lead nowhere exactly you're right yeah okay and 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 like if if the case happened and a team started losing the sense of purpose a little bit maybe the business is shifting maybe the customer needs are changing something is happening and uh, they didn't like shift fast enough maybe sometimes you need to reorganize things uh reorgs happen uh, change of scopes and change of of, of structures uh happen um so that leads to the other question that i wanted to ask about the uh the positioning of the product org within you know how the product org is placed and and designed within the overall company uh, structure. Whether the this company understands, uh, for example, the value or uh, the relevance of being product led or its operations led, but product is positioned in different, uh, you know, structures. How how much would that affect setting uh, um, a culture and an environment? for uh for product generally and to be able to grow and empower and give autonomy to product people in, in this context yeah so to answer the question so the first thing people need to do to answer these questions or that question for themselves is what industry are we in and what is our predominant business model because not every company that has product management folks around is 100% a product company because oftentimes maybe they develop internal software for users that the company is having and you need product managers to do so, but the company is doing something completely different. Some of my pharma clients, for example, right? The pharma clients, what they're selling are drugs yeah. and maybe kind of treatment solutions even. And the product people that they're having, they're taking care of the internal software that they need to build to be able to run clinical trials. Okay. This is a complete, this, for example, is an organization where product management maybe is not the heart and core of the whole company. Then where should a product be placed? is a completely different conversation than when you are a startup and you're a B2B SaaS company and the only thing that you do is caring about product-led growth. And mm -hmm. then should product management be attached to the CEO? Definitely, yes. Should it be mm -hmm. in the other case? I don't think so, right? Mm -hmm. So it really depends on what products you're delivering and what your predominant business model is. What are you selling? And is the products you are working on the core of what you do, or is it a supporting function to some extent? And still, whatever the answer is, you still want to balance it with the other functions that usually come with software slash hardware um, development. I haven't done too much hardware stuff. When I, I do some sensors plus software um, clients, I haven't done solely hardware company. So that that's my disclaimer here. Um, okay. But if you're more in, in, in software development, you still want to balance the functions of technology, design, and product. And to some extent, you need to, they need to have an equal say or an equal seat at the table. Um, so you need to have these departments kind of on eye level to some extent, or at least their leadership folks should be on eye level. That's another thing that you want to make sure that, they are the, that you're balancing the forces. Let's put mm -hmm. it like that. Yeah. And then in some companies, it's just like organically, organic growth, right? Some companies have like, hey, we have our user research team attached to the CTO. Is that wrong? I don't know. That is kind of a case by case um, conversation okay. that you need to have and you need to learn more about where they're coming from, what they currently want to achieve and where they're headed um, to say like, yeah, I think it's not ideal, ideal in your situation or yeah, for the time being, that's perfectly fine because let's face it, there are too many reorgs happening all the time anyways. Yeah. So I usually try not to advise people to 
just because a book says, but UX should be located closer to product, do a reorg because of that. If it works for you, it works for you. Then don't do the reorg just because a random book tells you so. Yeah, but still, so, if possible, find good balancing in all kind of um, the people that are working on the product. And, and continue, continuously assessing that and analyze if there's friction and how the work is being done and how different yeah. teams are working together would, would help you understand what is the best uh, setup. Okay, so now foundations are laid to like you know how the bigger functions are are, um, are balanced together and so on uh, but again as as a leader for like a very big business unit you have many many product teams and so on how to make sure or what are the factors that you take into consideration when you are sizing the scopes of different teams and like trying to balance how they work together on 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 the different on the actual product scopes uh, itself. Yeah, that again is to answer that context agnostically is nearly impossible to do it in a good way. You would need yeah. to have more context about the company and the challenge, their business, the industry they're operating in, the people they have and the talent, the maturity of the product organization and the maturity of each product person within the organization, because I think it depends on exactly these factors um, to create a setup that actually works for the organization. But so in general, um, you want to split. So what, what, what I usually, it's a bit of a checklist that I have in my head when, when people yeah. approach me with that question and the checklist that I first have a kind of, okay, are you having various products? So is there a portfolio? Mm -hmm. Because then we oftentimes, the first split we make is, by product market fit or by product, so to say, um, because usually a product is tackling one problem or a series of problems for a particular customer group. So that makes a nice scope for one team. Then you could say like, yeah, but this product is way too big uh, for one team um, to handle. Then the next question is, okay, but is the product actually solving problems for one user group or several. Marketplace products, for example, you oftentimes have two user groups, right? The seller and the buyer. Then that is another natural split that you could make to say like, okay, one team focuses on the needs of the seller and the other one focuses on the needs of the buyer. If you still say like, yeah, we have this marketplace product, we already split seller and buyer perspective, we still need to split more, it doesn't scale well enough, what else could we do? Then it's steps in the user journey then it's okay. maybe bio growth then it's the onboarding then it's the engagement then it's the retention then it's maybe churn prevention whatever it actually is but you could split teams and each team could have a goal um yeah connected to this part of the user journey and then focusing to improving that but if you do this then you really need to have a solid product strategy in place that need, creates alignment across all of these teams. And the okay. teams really need to understand which role they play in this bigger picture because your customer does not care that team A does the onboarding and team Z does the churn prevention. Mm -hmm. They have one single customer experience, right? So if you need to scale that much, then invest a lot in your time into alignment, into strategic work, into providing people with directional clarity. Where are we headed? Why are we going there? What is their contribution? Connecting the dots. So that's a bigger leadership challenge. Definitely. So speaking about alignment and strategies, uh, one of the most things that you deal with day to day, whether you're an IC or a reader or a VP of product is conflicts, right? So, um, like, you know, conflict happens in, in, in all teams, whether within the team, within the track, within the whole organ, especially, as you said, when you, as the company scales, goes bigger, it deals with more complex uh, use cases and initiatives and things that they are trying to resolve. Uh, the business model gets more uh, complicated. And that's that that's a main cause for having more conflicts between you know multi-layered and multi-level conflicts uh so how would product leadership across a company or organization that is already scaled has that much big of a scale um 
would would make sure that they are supporting conflict resolution and conflict handling uh, in a way that would still remain positive uh, and 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 productive, pushing for productivity. That it wouldn't actually block development. It would maintain the positive culture and the atmosphere across the company. Yeah, so many things to say about that. So first of all, there's fewer conflict in companies that are that having this directional clarity and that are driven by goals, right? So if everybody understands what you're currently trying to achieve and there's not that much assumptions and opinions, um, there's not that much conflict usually because then the goals, the shared goals and aligned goals and understood goals really help to eliminate a lot of these conflict because if then people have two people have an argument they could always go back to say like okay wait but what is our current goal what is the shared goal that we're currently trying to pursue and if that is the goal which route are we going right so that is one thing so if you are in a situation I i guess that's the perfect state because you would always almost always have that stakeholder that like goes no i like okay we're doing this because we have this shared goal and then still they are opinionated towards something or uh something else they're considering or uh, maybe they're trying to work in a different way and not also not only in product but uh, maybe in other you know business stakeholders that are working on operations or other business functions that you need to collaborate with come up with strategy with but still they understand things in a different way they work in a different way they try to optimize for different things yeah and that's what causes uh these kinds of yeah and it's a great assessment and if that is so first of all if that is let's say the product organization is aligned right you have goals everybody understands what what you're doing but you still have this conflict and friction with your sales team or marketing for example then i would say then it's not a shared goal. Then you should spend way more time in aligning with them what you're currently trying to pursue and involve higher up leadership. Okay. Because then there is no directional clarity provided that is spanning across the departments. Mm-hmm. And that is a leadership job. So it's mm-hmm. not, you can influence that from the bottom to some extent, but it's not your job as an IC level product leader to silence the salesperson because they don't get what your current goals are. So that is a leadership, a leadership task, right? So if that happens over again, if there's friction between departments, go up to the pyramid and say like, hey, leads, you need to figure this out. We have constantly these discussions that sales is kind of, to some extent, understanding our goals, but not really supporting our goals. So maybe we should work on shared goals that we and the sales teams are pursuing. And that's not something that you could drive. That's something that you could escalate to your leadership team and say like, hey, here's friction, or it's even more than friction. It's conflict. I can't yeah. solve it. Help me solve it. And, and it's, it's fr- from leadership perspective, it's, it's super important that leaders understand that they have um, need to establish clear communication pipelines or whatever yeah. with, with, with their ICs and the whole um, org that they're managing to be able to de- detect and, and, and spot these friction these- points early on. Yeah, uh, exactly. Because the, the, if we just come up with a strategy and say, okay, these are the organizational goals and everything, go work with it. And then all of this happens but they think that they have already done their job, everything is, you know, uh, a done deal for them, then they wouldn't really um, sense what's going on. And mm. by the end of the year, nothing is achieved. Everyone is fighting. Everyone hates each other. Yeah. And you, you lost your organization. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. So only fight the fights that are your fights and then manage upwards if it's stuff that you can't win. Uh, then you need your leader, the help of your executives or leadership team to set goals mm-hmm. that kind of are aligning the people towards this shared goal. And if that's not possible yet, then leadership has work to do. It's, it's actually pretty common that leadership has work to do. I often yeah. find product people being in an okayish position. Um, they saw there is no product strategy existing. They created a product strategy, but still for them, it's super hard to cling it to a company strategy or yeah. even a company vision, because that's not really existent. Implicitly, yes, but there is no 
written, aligned, shared, repeated um, company strategy or company vision. Mm. Um, but then it's a responsibility to speak out, manage up. That's an important part of the job as well. Okay. Yeah, that, that's um, um, a, a, a clear message on how to uh, to be able to structure things a little bit and how, as a leader, you are addressing um, issues that you're facing or trying to set a way of working yeah. uh, for, for the whole organization. Yeah, and by the way, there is a nice... so. You could call it joint escalation. So, mm-hmm. what is really so? If you have this conflict and argument with your sales representative, then mm-hmm. pair up with them and go to both of your line managers yeah. and tell them what your conflict is all about and how you could not come to a conclusion, decision, solve this thing, and what would help you. Because this yeah. aligning in conflict and say like, yes, we agree to disagree, and we need help to solve this conflict, and then. Mm-hmm escalate together there is so much power and beauty in that so that's usually my recommendation so it's not you against the sales representative it's the two of you going to leadership and say like we need help and guidance yeah establishing the culture of of collaboration generally like making sure that all different teams and all different functions understand that we're not debating or we don't have like different opinions because we're just opinionated and that's it yeah. We just are trying to work together uh, to find the best way and how we could achieve common goals. Uh, and and um, as as I was saying, um, I, I find I find that also something that should be fostered from from leadership generally on yeah. uh, not just setting ways of working structures and so on, but making sure that they are communicating continuously to all levels on on how to do small things like you know, simple uh, conflict resolution and how we work together, what to do in different situations and, and so on. Like from time to time, having some focus on uh, micro details on, on yeah. how the work is supposed to be done. Um, I think this enhances a lot of the uh, of the overall experience and culture in, in an organization. And yeah. f- from that, I want to go to uh, an article that you wrote. First of all, the title was like really catchy, fixing the shipyards, not just the ships. And like, I, I really like that, that, that metaphor. So that was the um, first thing. But in that article, you talked uh, more about having these systematic solutions. And um, I, I think we've been, again, discussing the same thing and, and uh, being focused on the last two chapters of uh, of your book but um is there anything else related to that article that you would like to add that contributes into how to use these systematic solutions and that ecosystem that you're trying to set up as a leader to guide building actual strategies for for the company moving yeah. forward so as you were saying it was a blog post that i wrote for the leadership folks out there right so if you are already in the leadership role um and you often find yourself fixing smaller things for 1 p.m. after the other, right? So so they come with the little monkeys problems mm. and really kind of say like, Oma, I have this one particular conflict with my salesperson. Can you fix it? Or um, this one person is bad-mouthing me behind my back because they don't understand the prioritization of my backlog. So the baseline of the article, yes, you could fix each one of these things one by one, but oftentimes it's not helpful. So oftentimes what is helpful in your leadership practice is to step back and think about, okay, is it this one person that does not find any time in the calendar for any backlog writing because they're so busy or is basically everybody in my product organization way too busy? And is it something that we should deal with Maybe it's training that everybody needs. Maybe it's a bit more guidance and coaching on time management practices. Maybe just more awareness around the topic. Or maybe it's mandates so that I say like, hey, feel free to cancel half of your meetings and tell everybody I said so. Depends on the situation, right? But that is something that I wanted to highlight in this blog post because I so often see my coaches fix issues one by one. And not looking at these problems from a higher altitude to see like, okay, is it is it really like an individual thing that I need to solve or is it a systemic issue that I need to tackle? And the, does it consume more time to tackle um, the issues on a systemic level? Oftentimes not. Oftentimes it's two or three meetings that you need to have with colleagues 
And it's either your IC level product people or you just talk to people higher up and try to fix it on a higher level. Oftentimes the time investment is similar, but you're solving more than one case. And that really helps you free up some time in your calendar over the time because it all piles up otherwise. Yeah. Um, like I, I was thinking when you were explaining that, that um, as uh, maybe sometimes, I don't know, like you, you tell me from your experience uh, dealing with, with leadership, but sometimes um, they might, with the intensity and, and the load of everything that is happening here and there and all the problems and so on, um, they, they, they forget that they are now at a higher level of leadership and they get consumed back into their IC personas where I have to jump and dive in and to solve this yeah. specific situation somehow. Um, not always realizing because like, maybe that's why it happens. Like you always have the bias to action, like, okay, let's go solve this right now, right here and, 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 and handle it. Uh, but, um, like, I think they need to remind themselves every now and then that there is like, you know, the more holistic approach and the more holistic scope that they can look. They have the eagle eye view right now and they need yeah. to focus on like spotting the patterns as you were suggesting and, and that the, the actual smaller products uh, that are within their scope as these are not their products right now. These are the SPMs products and, and so on. Their actual product is the ecosystem, the structure, the this set exactly. of teams. That's the product that they should be applying product mindset on, and the yeah. product practices they should, you know, actually run discovery on what are the problems that are occurring and having all these things that you used to do as an IC on on an actual digital product that you're building. Now you should be applying that on on a product that is a team and a structure for a company and. Yeah. And, and that kind of thing. Yeah, and so. ironically enough, it, that, that's hard. And it is something that everybody needs to rem be remembered of every once in a while, right? Because all of us have this tendency, if somebody comes with a problem, we want to help them solve the problem. Yeah. Um, so it's a natural tendency of everybody. And I think to some extent, it's beautiful that humans want to help humans. <laughs> but um, you're part of your job, as you were saying, right, is kind of creating this ecosystem. Um, mm -hmm. So that's why you need to have this, I call it muscle memory to some extent. So whenever okay. somebody comes with an individual issue, then you need to think about, ah, but I'm not here to solve this individual issue. Yeah. I'm here to <laughs> work on the ecosystem. So uh, we've been talking about the, the, the structure that you could bring to, to the organization and the things that you are sharing, uh, with, you know, as, as practices or things to do to, mm -hmm. to help leadership uh, to, uh, to grow their organizations. Um, but I also want to ask from your own experience and your own exposure, uh, what kind of markets uh, uh, that you have worked uh, with and whether there are differences in how to apply this and how to consider this in different markets. Maybe uh, like if, if we talk about North America and Europe, maybe like generally it's the same standard of working or at least the same mindsets. Uh, but uh, if we compare that to um, different markets like South America, the Middle East, uh, Southeast Asia, um, did did you get exposed to that uh, kind of uh, diversity in different markets and how they um, tackled this? And what what would be the differences specifically when we're talking about uh, places where product management is not as mature as in Europe and North America? Uh, and also, it, this might vary between the sizes of of the companies. So, like, we have two different variables here. Yes, yeah, so my exposure. So my clients are mainly based in North America and in Europe, with a emphasis to Scandinavia to some extent. And okay. Yeah. So that's kind of the clients that I'm working with on a regular basis over the years and have deep insights into. And the rest of the world is more like many, many meetups. I've spoken at many, many meetups all around the globe, um, attended conferences, talked to people in coffee queues, right? So I think I have a bit of a more international um, picture, but anecdotally, I'd say. Um, so yeah. that is that is the declaimer to setting, to setting the ground here. Okay. Um, for me, 
so most of the countries, no, basically, let's put it like that. The U.S. always thinks they're way more mature than the rest of the world, and the rest of the world always thinks that they're way behind the U.S. Okay. This is not my experience, product maturity-wise. My experience is whoever is able to read English content has <laughs> a similar maturity. Okay. Because information is traveling that fast. A lot of product people are really generous in sharing what they learn. Uh, there's a lot of literature out there. There are a lot of conferences sharing all the talks. So mm. all the people that are able to consume content in English and mm. that applies to Scandinavia, that applies to Europe in large extent, yeah, yeah. it applies to whole India. The whole world, yeah. So m most of the world. Um, I think they, they have a similar product maturity. Uh, there yeah. is a big difference in what type of companies that are working for, because definitely in Europe, it's harder to get venture capital. It's still harder to, um, to, to start a company and to, so therefore not that many people work for really like radically growth optimized uh, startups and scale-ups. It's, it's more old economies that people might be working with. It's maybe more transformation topics than it is in the US, but still there are massively big and old corporates in the US that need to be kind of transform towards a more product um, mindset or more product thinking, right? So there's not massive differences. Mm -hmm. A lot of the differences that I see are in countries that struggle to consume a lot of the English content, right? Um, okay. And that's where, where, for example, that's the countries where I get this ask from, can you translate the book to Portuguese? Can you translate the book to French? Can you translate the book yeah. into several? It's currently a strong product people gets translated into traditional um, Chinese because okay. of they maybe not prefer reading English books, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so that's where I see some differences in product maturity. And some markets still compensate by having great communities. So I have been invited to really great community events in Brazil, for example, where mm -hmm. maybe they're not all reading the latest English uh, product management books, but some mm -hmm. of them do. And they then are really gratefully sharing with their community what they learned and what they tried and what works for them. So it's a lot about are people able to read the latest stuff and are they then brave enough to try certain things? Are they able to apply it in the companies that they're working for? Are the companies willing to tolerate learning? Because it always takes a bit longer if people want to use a new framework or learn a new skill or something like that. And not every culture is valuing learning, experimentation and even failure equally. Um, well, so that's that's maybe cultural differences as well. So what is what is the culture around learning and failure and trying new things? But that's basically that's basically it. And then the teams are so. I've worked with teams in Berlin where there was no German person in sight, right? Because people have been yeah. <laughs> joining um, the company in Berlin from all over um, the world. So you have so many diverse teams with so many cultural differences um, that it's even hard to tell because is that a German company? I don't know, right? Maybe they're based it's, in uh, Germany. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah th definitely pr product management is an international culture now. Uh, and um, like... I think we could summarize what you said is that for, for everyone that they think that um, they are in a place or a culture that is holding them behind a little bit in product management, that that's not true. And uh, it's it's relative to, to, to everywhere in the world, as long as you could access knowledge and try to self-develop and, yeah. and, you know, have this, uh, you know, sense of community and sharing also what you learn, try to learn from other people and so on. This will, uh, will, will, will basically balance your existence in anywhere in the world. Yeah. Um, and what I wanted to ask about here specifically, um, is the, um, because for example, um, let's take the Middle East as an example. And I come from Egypt and I, I've, I've worked a lot in Egypt before uh, moving to Europe. So, uh, sometimes, because Egypt and the Middle East is 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 really a big playground for VCs, and when and you are in, in in this stage of startup and hyper growth and being funded with VCs, things need to move really fast. Sometimes there is no enough attention to structure and building 
the teams internally in the best way possible or yeah. correcting your mistakes because you are being pressured by needing to have speed and execution and speed and growth and, and, and yeah. searching for results and so on. Also, you have very limited funding. Also, the some society pressures around you that are making people that, you know, they focus so much on work and they're so consumed and a lot of stuff like, you know, these these kind of yeah. like, hyper dynamic environments that don't always give leadership the best opportunity to apply all of these practices that we've been talking about in this episode and, and what you have in your books. So is there like a micro version on how to do this in a, like this hyperactive environment or what should happen here? Yeah. So to me, the question, the, the, the question really is what are you opting in for when you're joining such a company? Right, because if you as a product person value well-oiled setup with enough headcount, with people on a high product maturity level that have done it before, then maybe a startup is not the right place for you to be. Right. Yeah. So I think the important thing is you need to reflect on what you're actually looking for, because such a hyper growth startup where there's a lot of pressure towards goal uh, growth, usually not so much profitability that usually comes slightly later or to yeah. find product market fit or to be ahead of the curve of your competition, all these kinds. Of, so that's things that startups usually care about mm. um, that can create a sense of belonging and purpose and it it maybe is a sweatshop but maybe you it's you you're having the time of your life there and you're learning so many things in a really short amount of, of time but if you struggle with being adaptive to change and if you struggle to do things with your bare hands because tools are not yet there then maybe it's not the right environment for you yeah. and so the thing is, could we tell these startups, you're not doing it right, you should be doing it in a different way? Yeah, but is that taking us somewhere? No, that's how that's the nature of the game of these startups is there is a lot of VC money, there is a lot of pressure. If you looking to learn a lot of things in a very limited amount of time, maybe a good career decision. If you're already a bit more advanced and you know how a team should actually work. For example, in my career at some point, I really fell in love with having an interaction designer close by so that we really could think about how actually is the solution going to look like. And even if I'm an okayish design person, it is not the same speed with not having an interaction design person, right? And I, at some point I knew like, okay, wherever I go, they need to have enough money to at least hire me yeah. some engineers and an interaction um, design of person, course. right? Yeah, yeah. But maybe the startup doesn't have the money to do so. And maybe the product person needs to do the design stuff as well. And maybe even some coding. Yeah. <laughs> and you learn but, a ton from yeah. that, but is it ideal? Not right yeah so definitely is... definitely and in, in, in this environment you have to work with what you get and you have to work mm -hmm. as hard as you can to uh, to make sure that you continue to exist but from the perspective again of of product leadership whether there is actual product leadership or product is being inspired by the ceo if it's still like you know at a very early stage is there a way with all of this speed and pressure and everything that 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 you're adapting with to make sure that you make account for how scalable this company could be and try to minimize the the amount of rework that you have to do as as you so like building foundations properly since a very very early start even though you have very limited capacity uh, of effort or money or funds or headspace to do that to avoid you know or to mitigate things being complicated uh, when you grow and mm -hmm. then you have to like bring down the temple and build it up again and, and do all of this. Yeah. So I seen more teams doing too much premature optimization than the other way around. Mm -hmm. So I often see teams having the tendency to build too much legacy and already do a lot of gold plating and create and adding a lot of things to the code that actually nobody will ever see or use just because maybe in the future we need this functionality, right? Okay. So that's what I see more mm -hmm. than that I see teams doing the bare minimum and really kind of winging this product and see how it crumbles while people are using it. Um, 
but both I've seen both, but I see more of the latter, so more of the gold plating, more of the premature optimization. And that's more a conversation that you need to have about its investments in the end, its investments. So how mm. much time can we as a company invest in this one particular thing? Do we think we need, is, is that the core of the business that we're currently building? Is that something that is here to stay? Or is it an experiment that we run and we're not yet sure if anybody is using that at all in the future? So these are the conversations that you need to have. And ideally, you're having these conversations when you are still in opportunity assessment. That's how I call it. So that's the okay. phase when you have an idea and you're mm -hmm. not yet sure if you want to invest in discovery. Mm -hmm. Not at all talking about delivery. It's just it's just this initial phase where you say like, okay, there's an idea. Can we call it opportunity? So do we see potential? What kind of potential do we see there? Do we think it makes sense for the company um, to call this an opportunity? Because oftentimes customers have problems. We see these problems. We know it's problems. We could solve these problems. But from a company perspective, it's just not viable because there's no business yeah. case, for example. And this initial opportunity assessment, hopefully, to some extent, talks about how much effort can we dedicate towards this problem to solve it. And that hopefully talks about... Um, yeah. Is it a core of our platform? Do we need to make it rather raggedized? How important is quality? How important is maintainability, enhanceability, all these kind of, we call it non-functional requirements because it's yeah. not adding functional to the software, but it is kind of work for the engineering team to uh, take care about all these things. And that is conversations that are hopefully happening. So, so like the key to, to startups, early stage startups, hyper growth is, is that they should just be focusing on how to do prioritization and, and discovery and the best way possible to determine how to like guide their investments and short their efforts that are, yeah. yeah, and short learning cycles, of course, yeah. and just focusing on getting that right. The short learning cycles, the discovery and the prioritization would definitely eventually help them in their growth. And then yeah. eventually they will have more capacity to set things in a better way and to work in a better way, whether for the overall structure as it scales or for developing the yeah, product Yeah, and itself. again, think about the shipyard. So at some point you want to create principles, engineering principles, product principles, design principles. So what are the things that we always want to keep in mind when we are working on the product and things like maintainability and adaptability of code could be mm -hmm. principles that your engineering team at some point decides to put into written principles. That's our minimum level of adaptability that we want to have in our software, right? But that's conversations that need to happen. Not something I would advise them to do in week one, but maybe when you're one year into your startup journey, then maybe pause and reflect and think like, okay, have there been decisions that have been, is there a pattern in decision-making when it comes to adaptability, maintainability, enhanceability, all these kind of things. Okay, great. Um, I know we're over time. I just have one question, a few. Please could, go for it. Okay. Okay. Um, Okay, so so that's that's great advice. And as you were speaking earlier, since we're talking about uh, different communities that would be, uh, you know, trying to develop and trying to share with each other and sharing the learnings and so on, I want just to jump into like getting a glimpse and a sneak peek of uh, what your new book, your latest uh, release, uh, Building Strong Product Communities, is talking about. Like from the title, I assume that uh, you know I would expect talking about scaling product craft culture, building on uh, on it to start building an actual mm -hmm. product community. And that also might apply inside or outside the uh, a company. But like that, that's just, you know, I guess for me, I'm dying to validate this hypothesis <laughs> with you. So could you just please give us a sneak peek on, on your new book? book? Sorry. Of course. Um, <laughs> very happy to do so. So product, Strong Product Communities is all about the knowledge sharing between product people. So it is not, some people assume that it's about how you as a B2B SaaS company, for example, build a community around your product. That's not what I'm talking about. So it has nothing to do with customer contact and relations. It's all about 
internal learning. Because again, I thought so many years about how can I help product leads to up their product leadership game and people development was one secret source to some extent to free up their calendar and to really help them to be great product leads. And another thing that I saw some companies do is they really run successful communities of practice, oftentimes internal product communities of practice, where the product people without the leader even being involved really share, hey, hey try to jobs to be done. That's how I tried it. That's how it was helpful. That's where the limitations are. Or I read this new book. Um, that's what I learned from it. Or I want to read this new book. Is there a book club forming? So can I read maybe with my peers? Or should we attend this conference together and see what we could bring back, right? All yeah. these conversations are oftentimes happening within product communities of practice, uh, within or successful organizations. Um, and then I have a lot of my coaches that have never heard about the concept that are so unaware that there are communities of product practices out there, global ones, public ones that one could join. I so often said this kind of, but why are all your product people not attending any of these external product meetups? And then the mm. leadership person is like, there are product meetups. <laughs> so I actually wanted to get this idea out to the world to say like, yes, product people are, we all of us love to share what we learned. Um, there's so many strategy pieces out there, or this is how I created my KPI tree. Whatever it is, go look for it. Product people love to share and help others. Um, and I wanted to be more, shine a light on that topic a bit more and say like, it's a thing. You learn from your peers, you can help your peers learn. That's how you experience mastery. So it's a win, 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 win situation if there is a vital community Oops. of practice. And the book is just highlighting so it's highlighting some interviews that I conducted with people that are running a product community of practice. For example, Nezrin from Google was so um, kind to share how they are running their European community of product practice and their other interviews uh, as part of the book. Then I conducted a survey um, amongst 100 product people and asked about their experience with community of practice. So what do they think works well and are there rituals that they particularly like and that they would recommend others to maybe run if they have a community of practice. And then I added a lot of my insights from client work and clients that set up a successful community of practice. So what did they do differently than the ones that have this kind of super energy consuming, not well no. running communities of practice. So that's actually what I put in the book. It's a, it's a small sister of strong product people. It's a rather mm. short read. I think you could read it in an hour or something like that. It's thin. Okay. Um, that's uh, that, that's uh, a really good thing yeah yeah i, uh, so I, I always struggle short. with long and big books so yeah and strong product people <laughs> is long i know but yeah. strong product <laughs> communities that's a short one <laughs> yeah okay that, that that's really great um i really like how you put that because um even personally i always think and say that product management is, is a science and art that is like it's homegrown it it actually it it got formed out of need and then people started yeah. teaching each other and um, uh, like um, developing each other on how this could be done in the mm -hmm. best possible way. Um, I think it's one of the uh, like science or art development stories that just recently happened. So we got to see how it developed and how it evolved, not like much older existing um, uh, sciences. And um, as as you said, that definitely all product people they um, they all like to share. We like to talk about our stuff. Yeah. Right? We like to yeah. evangelize. We <laughs> like to uh, show off and see. Okay, I did this and that happened and so on. Uh, that's that's a part of the craft, anyways. So you would, I think, you would always find uh, product people that are willing to help each other out of nowhere, support each other, even they, if they don't really know each other uh, from beforehand. Um, that's a, a unique characteristic about about this industry and what I personally really love about this doing this job yeah. and being in this community. I totally agree. <laughs> that was really nice last few words. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We could see that, you know, that you actually agreed to do this interview with me as soon as I reached out to you. So thank you so much. Um, I really enjoyed doing this episode with you. I think it was really rich. And uh, I'm positive that uh, a lot of people would find the great benefit uh, from Hopefully, it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, thank you so much, uh, Petra, for uh, for sure giving can. the time. <laughs> ah, love. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, uh, really, thank you for for being here and for your time. Um, 
Well, uh, that, that, that was the end of discussion with uh, Petra, but I, I would encourage everyone to uh, read her books if you haven't done that. Um, as you see, we have discussed uh, multi-levels of uh, how to build strong product people, starting from building your own self and preparing yourself to coach other people and how this could resonate to product uh, people and product leaders in different levels and different situations. There is definitely much more to learn from the books. So make sure that uh, you enrich your knowledge with that. Um, and that was the end of this episode with Petra, but I hope that uh, we're able to do other meetups with her uh, for now. Uh, please um, uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel and uh, to Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, follow the product live on um, uh, LinkedIn and Instagram to know um, all the other updates and uh, what's coming next. Uh, please share also in the comments if uh, you want us to discuss specific topics uh, that you would like to hear about. Uh, thank you so much. This was Omar Salam from the Product Live. And see you next time.